It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, a warm welcome to you wherever you are from us here at Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call, the show in which we cover 10 companies picked by you. I've got two expert guests here with me to do so, and we have one hour to do it in. And this is Wednesday, the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, actually. I'm Nadine Blaney. Well, guest host with me in studio today, I've got Michael Wayne. He's joining me from Medallion Financial and Andrew Page, a familiar face around the traps from strawman.com. Good afternoon, gents. Nice good to afternoon. see you. It's good to be here. I wondered why you were wearing green. Well, Why're actually, it, it was actually a coincidence, but I'm rolling with it. Yeah, why Go not? With it. Um, listen, it was about this time last year uh, that COVID started to get really real for financial markets. We saw that massive drop on the Dow. Would you ever have thought that we'd be right back to where we are? You know, didn't finish on record highs, but record highs for the S&P and the Dow. I mean, clearly a function of, of stimulus and central banks, but what lessons have been learned, Michael? To, to hold tight. Um, I think, look, there's no way I would have expected this this time last year when we're having those days where the markets were down five, almost 10% a day sort of thing. So if you gave us this outcome 12 months on, I would have taken it. 10 times out of 10. So we can be very happy with where we're at. Uh, the question always with markets is, can this continue? And can the big run up continue? And look in the ASX, we've really been going sideways now for six months. So much of the good news has been embedded into share prices, despite a very good earnings season, the markets can't get much momentum either direction at the moment. So I think um, it's a bit uncertain from here as to which way the market heads, given bond yields, stimulus being withdrawn, all those sorts of things. Yeah, really surprising. It, it always is. It never plays out the way you expect. It's one of those things in retrospect, I think I could give a good narrative as to why the markets did what they did, but no idea that that, that, that mm -hmm. was going to happen. Interestingly enough, where the bottom was and where the main part of the recovery was, was well before there was any light at the end of the tunnel from the pandemic standpoint. Um, so just fascinating stuff, endlessly interesting on markets. Yeah, we'll be talking about it, no doubt. But um, as far as the sector performances that have come through, you know, retail, a real narrative. Again, if it weren't for the stimulus, you wouldn't have thought that necessarily to start. Tech, some of those names that have been made, you know, the Zooms of the world through this yeah. pandemic. I mean, what is the hallmark sector for you that you still think has got juice in it from one of those pandemic narratives? I, I think tech, definitely. Um, a lot of, um, I mean, the valuations are pretty extreme 
in, in some areas. But I think there's a lot of interesting niche technology play. So if you sort of get outside of the well-trodden, well-known ones, um, there's some interesting there's some interesting things there. I think as a as a theme, it feels as though it's 2021. You know, we've had the internet for a long time. Technology's been around, but I, I really genuinely feel we're very early days in terms of this this you know concept of software eating the world. Um, and so I, that's that's always my happy hunting ground. And it's just it's just the sector that has the best economics. Yeah, well, we will be talking a couple of those names throughout this hour. That's a bit of a tease for you all at home who have diligently sent in your topics to us. Um, I will put you just uh, under the spotlight once again, Michael, for now. Mm -hmm. I mean, retail. Uh, we'll be talking to a retailer a little bit later in this program as well that's benefited from the pandemic. But do you think that retail as a sector has done as well as it can do through this through this pandemic? That is my gut feel. Um, there's been a lot of demand that's been pulled forward. Um, often, you know, people are traveling domestically overseas, spending money on other things. Those options for people have been taken off the table over the last 12 months. So people have been spending up on retail items, whether they're fashion retail items, one we're gonna talk about later on, uh, whether it's things around the house. Um, but now, once you've done those purchases and now the other options emerge back on the table, are you gonna be spending as much on those feel-good items? And, and I doubt that's going to be the case again. I wonder if we'll be spending on our homes, though. Um, speaking of the housing market, uh, listen, we will get to a lot of those themes throughout the next 60, actually probably 55 minutes or so. Let's get to our stock of the day. This one I picked because we've learned today that Paladin Energy is undertaking a $218 million capital raise. Not for an acquisition, the company is planning to redeem outstanding senior notes and reset its balance sheet. The raise will also give Paladin a cash position of 30 million US dollars for the eventual restart of its Langer Heinrich mine, which we have been waiting for, and that's that mine that it's got a 70% stake in Namibia. It's a uranium story though, isn't it, Michael? I'll start with you because of course there's a lot of enthusiasm in some camps about uranium stocks right now. They've been pretty buzzy to start 2021. So this is clearly Paladin taking advantage of pretty good timing. Yeah, I mean, their share price is up what, 300, 400% from sort of the lows that it's been sort of lingering at for the last couple of years. So it's not a bad time to be raising money. They'd rather be doing it at 47 cents than four cents. So. That's probably part of the reason behind it. The Iranian price has been very, very buoyant. Um, basically, the, the market's as tight as it's been since before the Fukushima disaster, going back almost a decade in Japan. Uh, so people are starting to feel good about uranium again. Um, obviously, there's a big focus on the environment these days and alternative forms of energy. Um, and despite in Australia, the fact that we're not really into nuclear power as such, we do have cheap uranium, good access to uranium, and it's quite easy for our uranium miners to extract it out of the ground for a competitive price. So um, the uranium miners are having the best conditions they've had in a long time. Uh, and many people would argue that the dynamics at play are gonna continue for some time yet as people continue to move away from coal-fired power to alternative forms such as nuclear. Um, look, this is a company that's gone through many iterations. It's still got a very, very long way to go to get back anywhere close to the peaks for, you know, 15 years ago or so. Um, but if you wanted to have an exposure to uranium, this is probably the, the best bet on the Australian market. But from my point of view, it's, it's too risky uh, and very, very cyclical and a lot of regulation in the uranium space, a lot of unknown factors. Who knows, we could have another nuclear meltdown. 
tomorrow, like Fukushima 10 years ago, which could set the industry back another decade. So this is a, a that sounds like a pretty firm no. It's a firm you, no. It's Michael. a firm no. But we've got U.S. President Joe Biden in the Oval Office, action being taken on new climate policies, nuclear in the mix, not just in the States, in Canada, in Europe, in many parts of the world. And uh, Paladin is, you know, ready and waving uh, to flip the switch when it can. Yeah, that's been the story forever yeah. with Paladin. You know, it's always, I mean, the, the story is a great one, but it's a perennial loss maker. I mean, I don't think it's ever made a profit. The shares on issue uh, doubled over the last eight or so years. This this raising, what is it, one new share for every eight or so out there, it's going to dilute it by another 10% or so. Um, you know, they're using the money to repay debt. It's not like they're investing that into some high returning uh, investment. You know, I just, you, you thought Michael gave a pretty firm no, but <laughs> if, there's, if it's possible, I'm going to give an even firmer no on this. It's just, it's, it's even, even if um, there is a big shift to nuclear and that, that's going to take some time to play out if that's the case, you don't build a nuclear reactor overnight. But even if, even if there is, it doesn't mean that these guys are necessarily going to be minting it. I mean, there are, there, are, um, there are other providers out there. It's a typical commodity story. You know, they are price takers. They're hugely capital intensive. There's massive and increasing environmental concerns. Um, it's, it, I just, I, we go back five years with what's on the chart there. If you go back 10 years, I mean, that, that whole blip for the last year looks, it's like it barely registers. It's, I can't say no any more firmly, I don't think. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it with your money, as they say. Okay, table thumping no coming no. from Andrew Page from Strawman on the stock of the day, Paladin. Why don't we move on from that then and get to some of the companies that have been asked uh, or picked by you. So from Kim, we'll start with, yeah, again, one of those pandemic themes. Corporate travel management, CTD is the ticker code. It's one of the worst performers today got a big bump last week when we heard that additional stimulus package being rolled out by the federal government in terms of uh, half price airline seats although you know corporate travel will benefit least from that because of obviously the area of the market that it operates in um, but you know lots of brokers think that the company is very well positioned for the pending recovery do you yeah, I think it. I think it uh, is. It, it's got a pretty good um, history. Um, over the the pandemic, I mean, they just got wallet. Their total transaction value dropped by almost ninety percent. Revenue was down sixty seven percent. But you know, we saw particularly in the last month of of twenty twenty a really strong recovery there. They took the time to um, make themselves a leaner business. They really, really took a knife to to their cost base there. Um, there is a long history of, of solid execution. You know, the per share earnings doubled uh, between 2014 and 2019. So if you want to treat um, uh, COVID as an anomaly, and I think that's a reasonable thing to do, and you sort of look past that, I think it's a business that's pretty well positioned. They had a really big acquisition recently with US-based TNT, and that's going to be quite accretive, particularly if they can get a lot of these uh, synergies. I know a lot of companies tout all the synergies they're going to get out mm -hmm. of these acquisitions. They're not always realised, but even without that, I think it's a circa 10% lift in their per share earnings uh, base there. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's reasonable. One of the one of the things that has held me back. Do you remember a little while ago, VGI Partners mm -hmm. um, uh, issued this short thesis on yep. it. They raised a few red flags, capitalised. Um, 
development costs, some revenue recognition policies. It's been very acquisitive in how it's grown and stuff. Yeah, uh, it, you know, and there's been some camps in the media, Joe Aston, the AFR, who really has taken a hate on yeah. to this company because of what he accuses it of some accounting tricks through this acquisitive uh, trail. And, and, and they're definite red flags. The, the hard part for me is I guess I lack the forensic accounting skills mm -hmm. to really validate or not those things. And you probably it's probably hard to do with publicly released um, kind of stuff. It's hard, to, it's hard to find an actual smoking guns. But that, that has always weighed on my mind since then because it seemed like some reasonable concerns. Um, obviously, the, the share price suffered when that first came out. You can see it there uh, a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, and it's yet to return to those uh, to those levels, but it does, you know, it, it is it is a general concern when you when you do have companies that are a, a, a growth through acquisition. It, it is something that um, can come undone, um, and we know there's some well well done stats out there in terms of you know uh, only one third of acquisitions ever add value for shareholders, a third do nothing, and a third lose value. So it is it is it is tricky. Having said all of that, um, I think it is. I think it is reasonably interesting at this point in time, but I'm, I'm not ashamed as an investor to put things in the too hard basket. I love looking for those one foot bars to step over. And so when I look at corporate travel, I think I can create a really good bull case for it. But some of those issues there in the background, I just can't get comfortable but with. But you're not gonna be putting your money in it today. Not, Would no. you put your money in corporate travel today given the fact it's leaner and meaner? We've got this vaccine rollout happening mm, yep. in the US, the UK, in which it also has a business. Um, it's, look, it's a, a business that's done very well. Listed, I think, 10 years ago. It's been around since 1994. The domestic operations, of which I think make up 60% of revenues, have been doing quite well, even despite this environment, they've actually turned a profit. The European business is expected to come back to profitability in the next half. So they've definitely managed to deal with this period quite well. Um, they were doing a lot of stuff with essential workers and government workers, which kept them ticking over during the tough times. Um, but the question is, um, is it the best exposure to that recovery travel theme? And then from, our, from our point of view, there are better alternatives. Corporate travels bounce back very quickly. Um, but we prefer probably Webjet at the moment, the airports, Auckland International Airport, Sydney Airports, as that travel exposure. Uh, but corporate travel, they should probably emerge from this period in a stronger competitive position, which has probably thrown some of their smaller, weaker competitors off course somewhat. But we've never really bought it. Um, firstly, we missed out on the big run up, and then obviously the short report from VGI just soured things a little bit. The company has come out and tried to explain that given they've entered new markets such as Asia, um, where there's more prevalence of cash transactions and the way that those cash transactions were being accounted for was making the balance sheet look a little bit out of whack. And, and they've tried to explain that. I think over time, as they continue to deliver good results, then they'll lay some of those market fears. But those fears are, in some respects, genuine. Whether or not they're a reality is another thing or not, but it's the perception that counts more often than not. And I think there's a bit of an overhang there for the time being. So not a bad company, done a good job in weathering the storm, but we prefer other alternatives at the moment. And those other alternatives, mm -hmm. Webjet, Auckland, Sydney airports, I mean, would you be willing to buy those today? Yeah, I mean, we bought the airports, we bought sort of back end of last year, probably November. The whole idea was we'd go for the lower risk exposures first until we had a bit more certainty. Um, in the last sort of couple of months, we started to see a lot more certainty as terms of a, a timeline for opening up of travel domestically and eventually hopefully overseas. And for that reason, we've been 
buying Webjet mm -hmm. over that time frame. Okay. Yeah, and Auckland was out today. Obviously, passenger yeah. numbers absolutely <laughs> terrible. International <laughs> down by I think 100% in the period. Shares off by 1.6%. So yeah, perhaps yeah. perhaps a buying opportunity. All right, Kim. Hope that helped you form your view. Don't forget, I say it once a program. This is information only. So this is not for you to go out and make your decisions. Um, you need to get personalized financial advice and take into consideration your own circumstances. Uh, but having said that, let's get to the next company in question coming to us from Ryan. This is about Elders. And Elders, guys, is one of the best performers on this Wednesday session, so far at least. City put a, uh, reaffirmed its buy rating on the company, price target of $15, up by more than 3%, basically saying it's well positioned to continue to grow its market share, both through organic means and acquisitions. Yeah. Elders, again, if you're talking a cyclical business, I mean, case in point, um, it. but it's got a lot of tailwinds right now. Absolutely. Um, cattle prices are pretty much record highs. The cropping industry, cropping market's been very strong as well. Um, but Elders, I'm not, not to compare it to Paladin, but it's been very <laughs> cyclical and, and it's had its moments too, where it was on death's doorstep and, and went through a, a restructure of some sort and has really come out of it doing amazingly well. So management have to be credited here with a great turnaround story and now they're capitalizing on what is a very favorable environment. My gut feeling with these sorts of companies is to be counter cyclical. You wanna be buying it when cattle prices are under the pump, grain prices are under the pump. Um, but this business is a very diversified company. They do everything from uh, real estate in the, the rural space. Yeah, and regional real estate is Re doing pretty well that's, right that's now. That's right, doing very, very well. Uh, they provide sort of fertilizers and that sort of stuff. They even do the insurance middleman for a lot of farmers out there. They're, they're stock agents as well. So they've got their fingers in all the, the pies. So it's a very diversified agribusiness. And at the moment, agriculture is doing very well. So they're doing great. I struggle to buy it here just because of where we are in the cycle. Who knows, the next drought, next flood um, is just around the corner potentially, which could send things uh, against their, against against the, the flow of the tide. So, so this is a no. It's a no. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. It, it's a really complex business to get your head around, just in terms of there's just so many different businesses under that umbrella, and, and all of them are, are cyclical businesses, and they tend to be a bit of correlation in that cyclicality as well. Um, I think it's an extremely well-run business. Um, they get good, um, good returns on capital. Uh, it ostensibly is cheap. You know, it's yeah. only a PE of 17, but it's a bit of a trap that one I've fallen into previously where things, the multiples look low, but you're on peak earnings or you're on an earnings that, you know, could fall away. So that, that PE could jump up much higher, not because of the price, but because the earnings fall away. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one of the things that you, you have to factor in as a long-term investor as well is, is climate change. I, I think it's, it's going to make things more variable. So it's going to add to that kind of cyclicality and that uncertainty. So I've got very little bad things to say about the business. They do a very good job for what they have, but I'm with Michael. I think, you know, when it's, when it's completely bombed out and, you know, things look terrible, I think that's the time because what you actually get there is an opportunity to buy on depressed earnings and on depressed multiples yeah. as well because the market's in such a funk about it. And as it comes out the other side, you get that earnings expansion, but also that multiple expansion mm -hmm. as well. So you get sort of this 
leveraged gain there. And that, that's, that's where I think real money is made. Having said all of that, if it's a sort of a bottom draw stock, you're happy to, happy, uh, to have a, um, a bit of variability. It's, it's, it's not terrible, but I think you should be fussy in this game. And for that reason, it's a no for me too. Yeah. Okay. I love your politeness around the business, but it's still a no. Okay. <laughs> moving on from that, John has written in to us about Center Group, SCG. So we know it. It owns those Westfield shopping centers in Australia. Look, it was a tough time, you know, speaking of the pandemic for a center group, but operating metrics in that last half yearly report were pretty sound in what was a tough year. It's guiding for a dividend or distribution of about 14 cents for FY21. Do you think the worst of times are behind center group and, uh, you know, if it continues to keep its uh, occupancy rates high and mm -hmm. extending out its leases, it could be a good long term play? Look, um, I don't know about the long term. I think in the short term, the worst is behind them in terms of the COVID impact. And we saw that sort of around the Christmas period, the sales numbers were pretty strong throughout their centres. Um, but the problem that they've got at the moment is that there's a bit of pressure coming on, on the rents. Um, people are obviously, or tenants are obviously pushing back, looking to get some rent relief or looking to renegotiate at slightly lower rents. Because over the last five years, 10 years, rents have just been going up incrementally year on year, and it's put a lot of pressure on the retailers. So in order to keep their centers full uh, and to make it attractive to the, the shoppers, they need to have a full and, and a lot of floor space taken up. So I'm not sure how this one's gonna play out. It's a little bit complicated. And I also think long-term shopping centers are still under some structural headwinds. And I don't think that's gonna lift anytime soon. Obviously there's the advent of uh, online shopping, which is really doing a, a lot of things. These centres are trying to evolve more into destination uh, they homes, have living centres, and, and food, and, yeah. and, and all that sort of thing. So I want to see the the positive signs start to emerge before I sort of jump on the back of that. Um, my preference probably is for URW Unibail Ramco Westfields, which is the basically the international Westfields that got spun off a couple of years ago yeah. when the Lowys sold out, and then Lowys eventually sold out. That's been really beaten up. Its balance sheet's in awful shape, but they've been selling down some non-core assets over there. And I think the Lowy's might have sold out about $14. It's about $5 today mm -hmm. or $5.50 or something like that. It was as low as, I think, $2.50 at one point. But there's a big French billionaire as well who's been buying up shares, who now sits on the board. And that could be a sort of rescue for, for that company as well. So my preference would be for URW as a bit of a value turnaround play on the reopening theme. Do you hold URW? We do for some clients. And would yeah. you be adding today? Uh, yeah, I think you could. I think there's a, it's a value proposition. It is higher risk, so let me just flag that um, because their balance sheet, it's not really a business that we would normally buy because the balance sheet is so horrible. There are structural headwinds mm. from the long-term perspective. But in terms of a turnaround value story, we think that this is not a bad play on that, particularly as Europe starts to open up. Mm -hmm. uh, and the vaccines continue to get rolled out. Yeah, and you see the vaccine rollout in the UK and they yeah. own that big London, um, well, I guess it's still called Westfield. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, turnaround story for you, recovery story? Um, yeah, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a business that um, I, I don't think it's going anywhere for a long, long time, but I think they will find it more difficult in the future than in the past. So they've sort of said, what, about 14 cents per share they're indicating at least for this year. So that's a yield of 4.7%. That's not, that's not terrible in a low interest rate world. Um, but to Michael's point, they, they have had to renegotiate um, leases. So the leasing spread, uh, as it's called, 
was negative 13%. So if people uh, across their entire portfolio, when they did renegotiate, they got 13% less than what they were yeah. getting before. Um, and they've been, they've been squeezing their, their clients pretty hard for a long time. And, and we know a lot of those retailers are doing tough. So um, if you're the kind of person that has an income focus, and if you're happy enough with a total return on average of maybe six, 7% over the next five, six years, it's, you could do a lot worse. But I, I, I'm trying to target a higher rate than that. So I'm, I'm being very fussy today and always. So for me, it's, it's no. Fussy pants. No, it's yeah. good advice. I mean, that's what people are asking you You only for. need 10 or 15 stocks in a portfolio. Why, why settle for mediocrity? Yeah. It's, it's not that it's a terrible business. No, it's Far there from better it. places for you to better put options. your money. All right. Yeah. So that is SAS Center Group for John Robb has written in about Shaver Shop Group. So... From the half yearly report, what we did learn, guys, is that there is momentum in this business. Now, it has been developing its omni-channel, its online offering, and it's been going pretty well, you've got to think. So with dividends on the table as well, does that make it more appealing to you? I think it's a really interesting one. Um, this so, so they did really well in the pandemic. I guess we couldn't get a haircut. So I know, but are you... <laughs> I mean, is that a home job that you've got on today? Well, thank you for <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that observation. I actually haven't had a haircut for a while. No, it looks great. Really I'm just wondering, even for men, I mean, like, you know, how long are you going to want to cut your hair at home? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, my wife did cut it once um, over, and, and that's probably the first and last time that that, that will happen. Um, uh, yeah, but look, uh, retail is, is generally not an area I like because it's just it's just hard. Um, but, but these guys have got a great track record. They've done really, really, really well. So they're like for like sales, which I think is really important when you're looking at companies like this. They're up 17% recently and they've been in consistently improving for a long, long, long time, which is really nice. This online um, part of their business has been going phenomenally well. Online sales doubled in the most recent mm-hmm. half. I think it's about 30% of their total sales are online sales here. Um, and because they've been moving more into sort of higher margin uh, products and they've been pretty good in terms of the cost discipline. There's a, some really good improvement to margin. So uh, sales were record uh, levels, 15% up in the half, but net profit was up 85% uh, as well. So um, it's also got a really great balance sheet, um, you know, 40 million odd in cash and absolutely no debt, which is really, really nice mm-hmm. to see. Management seemed to be really uh, switched on. Um, what's What's really interesting is it looks like it's on a P of about 13, unless I've done my numbers horribly wrong. So for a business growing at those rates, it does seem undemanding. I guess the market there is probably sort of saying, listen, we, we had a few sort of sales pulled forward because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So it could be to that point I, I discussed earlier. It's sort of, it's it's a lower PE, but on, on peak earnings. I had a quick look at, at some of the forecasts that were out there and they are seeing a bit of a, a, a dip after a very strong year mm-hmm. this year. Um, but I mean, I tend to, I, I, for me, I find it really tough to just sort of focus on one half or one year. I, I try to sort of look out three, five well, years. Well, that was going to be my point. I mean, before you can see on that chart, clearly wasn't doing anything. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, well, on, uh, yes, in terms of the share price, um, in terms of the underlying what the business has mm-hmm. done, it's actually much more, it's a much prettier picture there. So that's, that's a really good case in point of a company that um, uh, people were right to like, but they just got carried away in the valuation. Valuation matters, you know, no business is worth an infinite amount. And I think that's probably what you're seeing uh, play out on that chart there. Mm -hmm. Um, But look, I'm actually gonna go buy on this one. (laughs) 
Um, just because I think though, even though that, that this will be a particularly strong year and probably will be difficult to sustain, I think management, have, I, if you are in retail, I think niche retail is the space to go. They've got a very strong market position, they've got a very strong offering, they've got very strong back-end systems, and it just seems really cheap. So uh, for me, it's, for me it, it's, it's a buy, but I, I probably would only have a 2% exposure or something like that. Dollar twelve right now for Shaver Shop Group, would you be buying? Um, probably not, no. Um, the thing is with Shaver Shop, it, it's actually a genuine business that's looking to develop a genuine online presence, not just say it as a token thing that many businesses do. And they do generate a lot of revenue, a 30% I think it was, from online channels. But if this was a business that was killing it before COVID and then obviously got the extra boost because of COVID, then I'll be more willing to jump in. I want to see how it performs in a normal environment, a normalized environment before making a decision as to whether it's high quality or not. Um, because the fact is in Melbourne, you couldn't go to a hairdresser for, for six months or something, I don't mm -hmm. think. So you had to actually literally cut your own hair. And that would have had a big impact, I think, on shaver shops business. Um, so I just want to see how this one nuts it out in normal times before sort of jumping on the back of it. But they've definitely got a good website. I had a look at it before I came on today. The numbers are looking very, very good. They made the most of a tough situation um, and their online presence is really growing quite nicely and in many ways is like a, it's like a Kogan but for shaving and, and cutting hair personal, and, and yeah. personal care and that sort of thing. So they might not be the, to the same extent as Kogan in terms of their margins and their profitability, etc., and, and their tech awareness, but that's sort of the model that they're trying to yeah. go down. I think it's amazing that you've said, and this is not particularly in relation to Shaver Shop, that they're, they've got a genuine online presence instead of just talking about having one. Like the fact yeah. that, that some companies still aren't there in 2021 blows my mind. I was on a website, which will remain nameless, to do some online really? shopping yeah. just last week. And I, I could not believe how poor was it a the experience store? was. No, it actually <laughs> wasn't. Yeah, um, and I just awful. thought, what is happening that yeah. I can't go online and easily shop. Anyways, I didn't get my business. Uh, let's move on from that. Sonic Healthcare is, boy, it's another one of these sort of COVID thematic. So Paul has given us a bit of context and we love when you do, if you write an email, tell us why or what you're thinking around this company, whether you anticipate you would like to potentially get it as a long-term hold, short-term hold. But anyways, I digress. Paul has said Sonic Healthcare has been a big winner from COVID. Price currently under the pre-COVID value of $31.50. This doesn't make sense to Paul. He says it's been highly profitable. And while we will see you know, the level of COVID testing decrease from the peak, it should remain higher than pre-COVID. Additionally, other arms of its business has been seeing growing revenue. So that's what Paul is seeing. Michael, is there something that he's missing? I, I share his frustration Not about Sonic, we don't own that, but the healthcare um, sector in general has gone through a tough time and we own you know CSL we own things like Fisher and Paykel, ResMed and they've all had a tough few months and I think Sonic might have been caught up in that general sell-off that we've been seeing in healthcare as, as the market sort of shifted away from that growth play towards the more value play so sometimes it doesn't make sense the market moves um, because the fundamentals for something like Sonic look as good as they ever have but there are, more, there are more to the move sometimes than meet the eye. And I think that's probably what has a big part to play uh, in the recent pullback. Um, as for Sonic, I, I do sort of fear a little bit that 
much of the good news has been brought forward. Uh, I think they were testing the most out of anyone in the world in places like Germany, Australia. They are up there as well in other European countries and, and New Zealand. I think they're the third biggest uh, laboratory testing operator in the world. So they had a big role to play and they'll probably continue to play a, a role going forward. But it's anyone's guess as to how much testing we're going to be doing going forward um, and whether it's going to be a lot of testing, whether it's going to be a little bit of testing. So I think that is a bit of uncertainty that's being factored into the price as well. Uh, they do carry a fair bit of debt too, so they're not, they're not the, the lowest leveraged play uh, in the space. Um, there are still some cost pressures, particularly here in Australia when it comes to rents for pathology clinics. So it's a very good business. They've definitely won out in the battle against Helios. Uh, but I do prefer other healthcare plays at this time. Name one, CSL? Uh, CSL, we think that Fisher & Paykel um, has pulled back a fair way and we think that looks quite good. Even ResMed to some extent, which has been impacted by the Aussie dollar. Um, we like those names. We think they're probably better quality. Uh, they might not shoot the lights out over the next six to 12 months because they've had such a good period in the last few years. And if we continue to see that rotation towards value, they'll continue to struggle. But we just think that the quality of those names is superior than a Sonic. Can I just squeeze in a question on CSL because yep. I know that many people at home are thinking it. So we've seen the share price coming off. So clearly there's selling, <laughs> you know, yep. and, and some of that on behalf of, of Instos. Uh, but is it a buy at 259.82 where it's sitting right now? Yeah, we had it as a buy at 280, exactly. 270 last yeah. year. Um, and it sort of took off for a bit and it's come yeah. back. It just can't build any decent momentum at the moment. And in many cases, I think it's being used as a funding source for fund managers to free up cash to buy banks or to buy up some value yeah. beaten up names in the resources space, for instance, or the energy space. Um, I think CSL, it's, look, it always looks expensive. I don't think it really is. There's a lot of um, research and development that gets sort of knocked off the top straight away rather than amortized over many, many mm -hmm. years. Um, and I do think as well that as the environment returns to normal, the blood plasma collections will increase again and everything will be okay. It's just a sentiment that's pretty negative at the moment and the Aussie dollar's been rallying as well. Yeah. So it's okay. just a couple of different angles which have been hitting them. Yeah, lots of people asking about CSL. Would you buy CSL? Yeah, hell yeah. I've actually been thinking about it. It's, it's one of those ones where, um, it, yeah, it looks pretty uh, ordinary on a short-term yeah. chart, but same thing happened in 2018, I think 2016. It happens all the time. Yeah. The market runs ahead of itself. And then you always look back and say, oh, I should have been buying. Oh, I should have bought more, yeah. you know. And, and I would, I just don't, as a, as a rule, buy for, for short term because I can't predict short term. But I think this is a business that's gone 10x in 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's the share price, of course, but it's done incredibly well as a business. It's, um, you know, we talk a lot about moats and competitive advantage. We've got a really strong competitive advantage. Um, I think there's really strong industry um, tailwinds there as well. So... Um, you know, it's always frustrating. You think, oh, this is worth, what, two, uh, two, 280 and then it yeah. drops. You know, welcome to my world. It happens all the time. Yeah. But as long as, you're, as long as you are buying a good quality business at a price that is fair, that will always out over time. And, you know, you're not going to care in 10 years' yeah. time if this is 600 bucks that oh, I could have got it, you know, 3 or 4% yeah, yeah. cheaper. I think timing these kinds of things is a bit of a mugs game. So buy it. And you know what? If it gets cheaper, maybe buy some more. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a great opportunity. Okay. So that's CSL that we're talking about right now. But sorry, Paul, the question was about Sonic Healthcare. Uh, you know, yeah, the COVID did offset a decline in some of its base business. So. Do you anticipate that base business will come back? You know, now that we've got the vaccines, now everybody's back. 
people will be going physically to see their doctors more. You yeah. Know, is it a recovery story as well for Sonic? I think well so. Priced? Yeah, so I mean, some really great results recently. It was all COVID related. You, t- you stripped that out and they did that for us. It was actually revenue was down about a percent. It's mm-hmm. just harder to, well, you know, a lot of people were getting a lot less pathology tests done for obvious reasons. So I think that that's still a good story. The hard part is trying to sort of tease apart how those two different levers uh, move in terms of the COVID testing uh, regime and, and their normal core uh, pathology kind of services. But even if you sort of remove all of that over the last five years uh, or so, they've had some really good traction uh, in their earnings growth. Um, uh, they've got really good um, dominant um, industry-leading sort of positions in a lot of their geographies. Mm-hmm. Half comes from the US and Germany alone. Yeah. And then you sort of add Australia, and that's basically about three quarters of their earnings there. And UBS says that, look, their diagnostic services at the end of all this could be looked upon more favorably because of how well they've performed and done yeah. uh, through COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've definitely, they definitely know what they're doing. Um, in terms of, uh, again, with competitive advantage, I think there's probably some, some modest scale advantages uh, in this game. It's hard for us to set up a shop yeah. and do a few PCR tests. Um, but uh, okay, so, so I, talk to us about price and uh, where it sits now. And yeah, so I did. A, I did a bit of a, a thumbsuck valuation. It looks about fair, mm-hmm. so it's not. I wouldn't call it expensive, and I wouldn't call it cheap. Um, so you know, I, I would. I would probably need to see a ten or twenty percent fall before I got got really interested um, in it. But yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a, a, a terrible business. What you've got a yield of about three percent or so as well. So there's a, there's a bit of a divvy there at the same time. Um, so uh, you would wait for a ten to twenty percent fall before buying something. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 about. I mean, it's not trying to forecast that that will happen. No. It's about being opportunistic if that were to happen. You've hosted the show, Andrew. What we need to know from you if you'd buy this <laughs> on the day. It always frustrated me as the host. Just like, just give me an answer. Um, uh, and I can't go hold, can I? You can go hold. I'm going to go hold then. Okay. I'm going to go hold. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hold is uh, well within the vernacular. All right. Excellent. Hope that helps you, Paul. Look, we're at the halfway mark. We'll let these guys have a sip of water. And I'll get you just across what we've been talking about so far. So Paladin. Paladin was the stock of the day I chose. And that was a firm no coming from... Michael Wayne and Andrew Page says if he could possibly give a firmer no, he would do so. So that is a no, despite some of the buzz that's around the uranium companies right now. Look, it's a Hope Springs eternal kind of story in their view for Paladin. Let's get to the questions coming from you, our viewers. Kim asked about corporate travel. Look, both of the guys think that it's done very well through the pandemic. It's leaner, it's meaner, it's well positioned for the recovery. A few red flags being raised by that uh, VGI Partners short report, which, you know, does unsettle, uh, especially in Andrew's view. You know, when you're not a forensic accountant and it's hard to get a read on your own, he thinks it's just a bit in the too hard basket right now. And Michael Wayne says that there are better recovery travel stories. He is keen on Webjet, Auckland Airport and Sydney Airport. In fact, he'd be buying Auckland Airport on a day like today when there is a pullback. Elders is the next company on the list coming from Ryan. Um, Michael Wayne said, look, this is a company that's been on death's door many times. Things are going really well for it right now, but you know, a better time to buy this company would be when things are not going so well. So it's a very counter-cyclical play in his view. And Andrew mostly agreed with that. He said, look, if it's something to put in the bottom drawer and leave, maybe he'd consider it. However, think about climate change. Uh, think about, you know, the complexity of the business and just consider that there's probably better 
places to put your money at this time. He's being a bit fussy with that one. He was also a bit fussy with a center group. From John, uh, he said, look, it's going to have a more difficult future than the past. Uh, you could do a lot worse, but again, probably better places to put your money. And uh, Michael Wayne agrees. He says, if you are interested in this type of space, retail shopping center owners, then the better play would be URW, Unibail, Redemco, Westfield, because it is more beaten up. Uh, you could add to it even on a day like today. But it is riskier. Keep that in mind. A center group, look, it's just, um, you know, got problems, some structural headwinds. Uh, it's not a buy. It is not a buy from Michael Wang from Medallion Financial. Shaver Shop, so this is a buy. This is our first, first buy, I think, coming. And this is from Andrew Page from Strawman. He says, look, it's done really well. Net profit up 85% in the last period. PE is not challenging at all. If you like niche retail, this would be a buy, but he would only hold about 2% or have about 2% exposure in the portfolio to it. Michael Wayne says, look, um, yeah, it's got a good online presence. Yes, it's doing a lot of good things through this pandemic, but he wants to see how it performs in a more normalized retail environment. So it is not a buy, even at $1.12 for Michael Wayne. That brings us to Sonic Healthcare. I had to push Andrew Page on this one. He was being polite, um, didn't want to give it a buy. He would wait potentially for another 10 to 20% fall. It's a hold from him. It's a good story, good business, well run, potential in the future as well. Um, Michael Wayne just thinks that maybe there's just been a bit too much of the good news brought forward for Sonic when there are others in the healthcare space that he would rather look at Fisher and Paykel, uh, ResMed even. Um, but both of these guys, just as a bonus buy, I know you like them, would be buying, they would be adding to CSL at this price. It's been pulling back, but on a long-term horizon, we always look back at these pullbacks and think, uh, you know, it's a pretty good price still and a good opportunity. So that is a bit of the wrap up for you. And as you know, likely if you're a frequent viewer and I've had to restate the rules for Andrew Page, <laughs> if the companies get a buy, so two thumbs up for buying today at this current price from both of our expert guests, then it does go into the portfolio, which is up um, on the weekly return about 4%. Month, we're still down by 1.3%, but in the full year to date, not bad, up by 26%. Recently, we've had added Evolution Mining, Event Hospitality and Entertainment, Omni Bridgeway, Kogan, and McMahon. And uh, if you'd like to check out what is in the call portfolio, you can do so by heading to osbiz.co back forward slash portfolio. And you can see that just at the bottom of your screen right there. And thanks to uh, Nabtrade. Now listen, just a quick uh, housekeeping before we get going again. If you are not already a subscriber to the Osbiz newsletter, please do. Every day we get a view in there. Uh, we, you know, we link to some of the um, most relevant videos, video on demand that we've got. And uh, don't forget the COB is also a podcast as well. We have a lot of fun recording it. Really hope that you can watch it or listen or view it to osbiz.co backslash the COB to subscribe. All right, let's get back to it, shall we? Luke has written in about Team Invest Private. TIP is the ticker code. It is a, it's a, it's a listed uh, entity that invests in private companies. Now, you would recognize the name Team Invest. We have Howard Coleman and Mark Moreland from Team Invest uh, on the program. Howard Coleman's actually on the board, so it invests in private companies. Earnings per share are growing. The insiders are buying. What do you make of TIP? 
Yeah, look, I mean, in, in many ways, it's a listed investment company, um, which invests in unlisted companies as opposed to listed businesses. Um, it's majority owned by Howard Coleman, what appears to be one of his relatives, potentially his son uh, is the CEO, Mark Morland, who also appears on the show mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah, he, he's on, he owns a big chunk. So basically the top 20 shareholders own about 50% of the company uh, and the rest is floating. So so are you, is it illiquid, slightly it's illiquid? It's illiquid, very illiquid, very hard to get in and out. Pays a very good dividend yield at these prices. Uh, trades on about 13 times earnings, but probably trades on a discounted PE because of the illiquidity. Mm -hmm. um, and the, my idea of a private equity is when you're getting exposure to big, large returns. These businesses they're invested in tend to be more old world in nature, not so much in the tech or healthcare space. So I think if you're looking for a traditional private equity with a big return, this probably isn't the go for you. Mm -hmm. But in terms of exposure to some interesting private companies that pays a good yield, then I think um, this is not a, a bad option. But, but it's not a buy. Then, no, it's not a buy. And they won't like me saying this, but when you've got such big insider ownership, it's very hard as a small shareholder to think that your best interest is being looked after. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do, nope. but it's they're going to always act in their own best interest and they really do control the register. Okay, any quick thoughts on TIP? Uh, look, it's a, it's a tiny company. It's $80 million market cap. I think it's $7 million in operating um, profit. The businesses they're in are largely engineering and services uh, are based. They've had some good results recently, but you mentioned the illiquidity, mm -hmm. zero volume today. Yeah. So that's very hard to build a big position and even harder to get out quickly if you needed to. So don't, don't, don't look at the normal multiples as, as, as um, uh, was alluded to. Uh, it's, an, it's, it's, it's not a buy for me. No, okay, good. Dicker Data is the next on the list. This one's coming from Kate DDR. Look, many lament that this is one of the most underappreciated tech companies on the ASX. It is an IT distributor. It made $2 billion last year, Andrew. $2 billion. They don't have huge margins, but that is a big number. And it has, it has done so well over such a long period of time. Um, talk about inside ownership. So the founders collectively own, I think, about two-thirds of all shares on issue, so about 65% or so. Um, Look, it, it, it means they're incredibly aligned um, and they've delivered just some exceptional results. The, the company has actually been around for 42 years, so there's a lot of deep experience in that. They are trying to transition more into software sales, so they get that recurring revenue. And to get more nice. exposure internationally as well. They want to yeah. become multinational. Yep, yep. Um, and, and I think that they're the team to do it. It's not, it's not a business that's an easy business to, to operate in. There are some scale advantages there. But for this one, I think um, you've got a back management. They just have such an incredible track record. All that being said, I know we're getting short on time. Yeah, we are. I think it's about, I think it's about fair value. So it's a hold. Hold. Michael? Uh, amazing how well it's done. I've been watching it for years and years and, and just sort of uh, never bought it. Even <laughs> I just always thought it's a product reseller, um, wholesale distributor, that sort of thing. How well could it possibly do? The margins are tiny, but it's proved me wrong time and time again. Uh, management have recently been bulking up capacity uh, with a big distribution center out of Cornell, yep. um, which increased their capacity. And that puts them in good stead to keep meeting demand, which is clearly out there, given that they've been absorbing all the, or given that the market's been absorbing a lot of their products. Um, so for mine, it's 
Hard to say a, a buy given how much it's run up, but I think in this case, the trend is your friend and the momentum seems to be quite good in terms of the balance sheet and the share price. So I'm happy to put it as a buy actually. Wow, buy Dicker mm -hmm. data. Okay, great. Let's go on to data three. This is again going to the initial conversation about pandemic thematics. I was speaking with Angus Wright from Tribeca Investment Partners the other day, and he says that data three, DTL, for you, James, if you're listening or watching, is the best way to play cloud adoption in Australia. Yeah, um, it's it's a business that's got another good, uh, it's got a good pedigree. You know, they they know what they're doing. They've been around the block more than once. Um, they had some really nice results. Earnings doubled over the last uh, five years or so. The return on equity that they get is forty five percent, if you can believe that. It's really nice. I was lamenting to Michael before. I actually owned shares in this like seven eight years ago or something, and thought I was clever taking a, a quick <laughs> profit there, which is a lesson that I've had to learn repeatedly. And hopefully that that lesson will stick one of these days. Um, not, not, to, not to base your sell decisions on your profit or loss. Um, I think there are some good industry drivers there. Um, you do have to remember though, it, it is a services business and that means that it, 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 you have to really watch the bench time of, of their, um, their workers there. They're very expensive employees. When there's lots of work, they, they just get a lot of, a lot of extra, um, uh, they, they, can, they can apply all of this manpower uh, uh, to it and they can get some really good margins. But we see that when, when that drops off a little bit, your, your, your cost base is very hard mm -hmm. to realign and, and it can be quite volatile. We've actually seen that in past years, in, in fact. All of that being um, said, look, um, I, I think it is a good business. Again, I just don't see it as being particularly cheap, so it's another hold, Okay, a hold, so not a bad business, not cheap. Is it cheap enough for you if you're looking for some exposure to the tech space growth? The balance sheet's very good, um, very low debt. They've had you know, growing earnings, growing dividends, growing revenues. 60% or more recurring revenue, which is always an, an attractive feature. But a lot of it is big contract work. So they get contracts with government organizations, um, large corporations as well. But contract work can be lumpy. At the moment, obviously, there's been a big adoption of the cloud. Cloud services have been something that's been pretty new and pretty foreign to a lot of people. Um, so it's been a perfect environment for them. They've been winning a lot of contracts, but the chances are over time, They'll go through a tough patch where those contracts aren't renewed or aren't renewed at the same value and they'll come into some challenging mm -hmm. periods. So that's what concerns me, whether or not that happens or yeah, not yeah. remains to be seen. So for that reason, it's probably a hold for me, um, not a buy. Okay. There's a hold for Data3, James. The next one comes from Nicholas. And I'll start with you, Michael, because mm -hmm. you mentioned annualized recurring revenue. Yes. That's what everybody likes to measure in these <laughs> software you know, SA, SaaS space. So big tin can holdings is basically sales software. Yeah. Do you like the narrative? Um, because it is guiding for annual recurring revenue yes. at the top end of its range. I think last time we spoke about this when I was on the shelves at 40 cents, I was like, oh look, it's just had a huge run up, be careful. And it's gone on to bloody 80, 90 <laughs> cents now. So uh, I I'll love when careful. you guys keep it there when you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, look, it's great, it's great technology. Um, they've got a lot of large clients, a lot of recurring revenue, software as a service, all those buzz mm -hmm. words. But I think what's also equally as important is their existing customers tend to be using the software even more. Um, and they're obviously winning new business and new customers as well. So from my perspective, this is a company that I would like to own. Um, I just want it to sort of settle down. Probably 70 cents would be a good target. Um, it's because it's got all the, the, the features and all the characteristics of a company that we would like to have. It's just a matter of waiting for some stability in the price uh, and for some of the heat to come out of it. 
Yeah, and it's not inconceivable, is it, Andrew, that you could see that pull back to 70 cents if we, you know, continue to see rising bond yields rotation out of, you know, tech and growth. So oh, would you 100%. wait for that? Yeah, look, you're paying something like 11 times sales, um, which a few years ago was just unheard of. Now it's, yeah. it seems yeah. to be pretty common, but you've, you've nailed it there, Nadine. I mean, if, if, if we see those bond yields come up, um, particularly for companies whose all their cash flow is out way out in the future, these mm -hmm. guys haven't made a profit yet, I don't believe. Um, I, I think there are a lot of good things to say about it. Where I, I do struggle a little bit, I mean, as I've just never used their software. I haven't heard, uh, and I know it's a competitive space, so that it's hard, it's hard for an outsider to really understand what, what competitive edge Well, you had. don't invest in things you don't understand? I don't. I'm so happy. So there's a lot of fake rules <laughs> out a lot for me, believe you me. But um, and also, I used to have a friend who worked there. He oh, wasn't, yeah? wasn't a happy chappy when he left. And I don't know if that's just because he was, you know, a bit funny or whatever, but it's sort of, it's always tainted me. <laughs> we don't it. have time to talk about your friend group. So it's, it's not, it's a hold. <laughs> it's a hold. Yeah. Okay, so that is big tin can holding. I would have loved to explore that, but we've got to leave it there. It's St. Paddy's Day. Shall we talk about a drinks organization? <laughs> Good Drinks Australia. GDA is the ticker code for Samuel. It's attempting to grow the brand on the East Coast. He points out it's actually one of the country's largest independent brewers. Would you be raising a toast to Good Drinks Australia? I had shares in this a while ago. I it was called Gage Roads. Yep. And it was all about, they'd had, they, my thesis was they had all this capacity that they were looking to fill. So They'd made the investment. They'd won some um, contracting brewing arrangements with Woolies. Woolies took a big stake in the company. It seemed really good, and it just fell flat in its face. It did. It did not deliver. So I've kind of a you know, fizzle. You once bitten, twice shy. Look, the the, the thing that I, I think it's just craft beer as a sector is just exploding, but it is hyper, hyper, hyper competitive. And I just don't know how you stand apart there. And one of the great ironies with craft beer is, is as soon as you get any scale, for some reason, people don't think it's cool anymore. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and then the sales drop off. It's not, craft, it's not craft. And just purely by virtue of the size of the company making it. So it's, it's a bit bizarre. It's, it's a sell for me. Okay, a sell, yeah. Um, yeah, so like I, I noticed that as well. There's a lot of competition, even in their own annual yeah. report, they list the 15 competitors. So it's things like Young Henry, that you might have come across or stone and wood um, so there's a lot of competition out there um, but they do sign up partnership agreements with a lot of big pubs so you might the beach road in bondi for instance or, or the Coogee bay hotel in Coogee or, or one cavill avenue up in the gold coast so they're trying to get the brand <laughs> List out of through, michael's favorite yeah, i don't know maybe 10 years ago good, good market um, research yeah. <laughs> but um but they've also got a big manufacturing component. So they've got obviously the craft beer component, they've got the manufacturing component where they basically manufacture and then distribute um, San Miguel, which is actually an international beer brand. So I've got to try and split out what they're generating from both parts of their business. I need to put more time in it to understand it. But for mine, too competitive, no real competitive advantage. And for that reason, it's a no-go. Okay, no-go for Good Drinks Australia. Hey guys, that brings us to the end. I will just recap those last five companies that we were talking about. Team Invest Private, it's just too illiquid for both of these guys and there's better returns. Elsewhere, it's a no from both Michael and from Andrew Page. Dicker Data, well, it's a buy from Michael Wayne from Medallion. He's never bought it. He's looked at it many times over the year. Definitely has momentum. Uh, it is, you know, obviously meaning demand out there. So yeah, he's given it a buy, but you know, uh, it's not that for Andrew Page. Um, it's done so, so well. Inside ownership, about two thirds of all shares on issue. 
Uh, look, it's just not a buy for him uh, at this space because it's run up so hard. Data 3 is a hold from both of the guys. Good pedigree, seems like a good business. Um, yeah, Andrew Page likes it. It's just, again, uh, where it's sitting in terms of price probably doesn't justify it right at this time. The balance sheet is good, Michael says. You know, everything is looking pretty good. It does get government contracts, but it's the contract part of the business that it's just the nature of it. So it's quite lumpy. So he is just happy to sit on the sidelines when it comes to data three. Big Tin Can Holdings, it is a hold for Andrew Page from Strawman. It's on 11 times sales, used to, you know, cause a head shake, doesn't so much anymore. But again, it's just not something that he'd want to jump into at this time. And not only that, but he doesn't really, you know, intricately understand the business. So unless you do, in his view, there's no point in buying it and holding it in a portfolio, which he says you don't need a whole long list of, of companies. You just need, what, seven to nine? I've only got about seven okay. or so, yeah, but yeah. you don't need much. Okay, and uh, big tin can holdings from Michael Wayne. He says it's great tech, big client, software as a service, all of those buzzwords, but he'd be waiting to see if there's a pullback, maybe to around 70 cents. And both guys say that's not inconceivable considering the environment that we're in uh, with rising bond yields and that rotation trade going on. So patience if you are interested in Big Tin Can, and don't forget you need to do your own research for your own circumstances, bringing us to Good Drinks Australia. Kashi will be watching. I'm trying to make sure I get in on time. GDA is the ticker code. This is for Samuel, but look, from both of my guests, Michael Wayne from Medallion and uh, Andrew Page from Strawman, it's just a very competitive landscape. How do you set yourself apart? How do you remain in a market leading position when, you know, by the very nature, once you reach a certain scale, according to Andrew, you sort of lose the, the shine that comes with being a craft beer anyway. So it's an actual sell for Andrew Page, and he was a holder at one time, and it is also a no coming from Michael Wayne from Medallion. Just uh, no way to set yourself apart, or it's very difficult to remain there. So that brings us to the end of this edition of the call. Any companies you would like us to cover, please feel free to flick us an email or find us on social media at TV. We get them all, we read them all, and we get to them as fast as we can. And before we go, a huge thanks to my expert guests, our expert guests, I should say, Andrew Page from strawman.com, Michael Wayne, Medallion Financial. It's been great, as always. It's Thank you so fun. much. Thank you. Stay with us. Plenty more to come.